Welcome to HDA's Redefining Workplace podcast, where we'll talk with experts about all things related to office design in the age of COVID-19, while keeping CREs up to date with new insights as they emerge. I'm Melissa Pacey, principal at HDA in our San Francisco office, and super excited to be your host. I'm joined today by Amin Mojahedi, a design strategist in our San Jose office, and Kara Freihofer, HDA's Director of Research in our Milwaukee office. We'll be doing a deep dive into the future of work study that was ruled out earlier this summer. When many people globally shifted to a work from home environment at the beginning of the pandemic, HDA's workplace strategy team and design research team joined forces to study the way people work as the shift caused many to reevaluate their ideal environment. Thanks so much, Amin and Kara, for joining me today. Oh, you got You're it. Welcome. So we're going to jump right in to authorship. Kara, I was thinking you could share with our listeners high level what we saw uh, as the outcome of the results of our survey around authorship. Yeah, absolutely. So this was an interesting finding. Um, you know, the number one thing that the respondents said that they enjoyed most about working from home and not working in the office, obviously, is the commute. Who won't want that? That's around 21% of the respondents. But behind that was um, just being trusted to do their job without being supervised. That's around 16% of the respondents. And of those 16% of the respondents, around 67% of those were just classified as team members. So it's really looking at those that do a lot of the nitty gritty of the work. They really appreciate not being in a physical space and, and having that supervision, but still being trusted that they are getting their work done while they are working from home. That's great. I mean, what did you distill from that? It seems like that when you look at the trust, I mean, it's definitely runner up next to after commute, which seems one of the most important indicators. And it actually has helped people to become more productive as well. You see a lot of quotes in the survey that people appreciate being able to be trusted to work from home. People are surprised by this immediate change in their entire concept of workday that has been facilitated with the trust that they get from the leadership. One thing that is was interesting to us though was that as you move higher up in the organization that sense of trust becomes less and less important. So for people closer to the base of the organization that's perhaps the most important. Great and what I thought was really interesting and important from these findings is that there was such a great feeling of trust from the employees and it, that was certainly what they're perceiving. But in reality, there was really no choice around the situation. And they've got to work remotely regardless of whether or not their managers and colleagues trust them. For me, the important thing to consider here was the idea around training for both managers and employees around time management and communication. Really, we need to be giving employees the tools that they need to thrive and those will likely translate to even greater efficiency, even if we do go back into the workplace, because if you don't have someone hanging over your shoulder, that perceived feeling of trust is going to make you more efficient. And if you've got the appropriate tools so that everyone does actually trust each other to get their work done, I think that we're gonna see a lot more productivity in our workplaces, regardless of if they're in an office or in a home environment. Yeah, much related to that is there was a statistic that came back where respondents felt almost three times more productive and creative 
at home versus in the office. And there's another that's around 50% of the respondents said that they are just more creative, more productive at home. And another 30% said that they are, you know, it's just a blend. They're kind of in between. They're creative and productive at home and in the office. So if you put those together, that's around 80% that said that they can do some capacity of their work from home in the future. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think one of the things that we've thought about too is that work could also just be remote. It doesn't necessarily need to be from a home environment, but I think having that change of scenery and empowering people to work where they're most comfortable to do a task is something that we've seen in the past. And I think, again, giving people the tools and empowerment to choose is really important here. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. I wanted to mention something quickly about your comment, Melissa, about trust and time management tools. And after that, looping back to productivity, higher levels of productivity and creativity at home, which we see all over the survey. In terms of trust, and we've used this analogy multiple times that uh, prior to work from home, it's been like a child looking at the pool, really being afraid of swimming, and then someone shoved them into the pool and then decided suddenly the weight is lifted and they enjoy it and now they don't want to leave the pool and they really enjoy it. But the fact, to your point, in terms of time management is that the fact that we enjoy swimming doesn't mean that we're great at it. And it takes years of practice to become a competitive swimmer. And similarly, the fact that we're enjoying certain things about work from home, which is, again, there's so much about it, the quality of breaks, the authorship, the trust, the quality, home experiences, the natural light, everything, the flexibility, everything that we talk about it doesn't make us competent teleworkers. And we're not competent in effectively, according to the survey, connecting and executing ideas virtually. There are higher levels of productivity, as, as Kira mentioned. I mean, that's a perfect segue into the second section of our research, which is quality. Kara, do you want to take us through the high-level stats? Sure. What we found was the respondents really appreciated not having the commute and they're commuting less. But with that time, we're theorizing just from the responses that they are spending more activities, doing family time, exercising, maybe even possibly working more and sleeping more, which gets back to their ability to have the flexibility to work the hours they need to do in the environment that they need to do and take the breaks that they need to do and do what they actually want, create those quality time away from work to recharge and then be able to come back and be more productive. Absolutely. And Amin, do you want to shed some light on your analysis of that? Yeah. I mean, there are interesting dualities uh, that how people are replacing something really negative with something really positive. Something really negative from pre-work from home era was something positive about their work from home. For example, commutes that Kara mentioned, it is all over the survey during the open-ended comments, it's being described as a wasteful and a stressful activity. And now have replaced it with healthy and rejuvenating activities like exercise or breakfast with family, getting more sleep, getting more work done. Another duality that I think is interesting is the quality of breaks that 
in the office, people refer to it when they take a break in the office, they feel like it's associated with guilt and people are watching or they have to come back immediately to their desk, even if they're not productive at their desk. But the quality of break uh, at home with no certain kind of physical supervision, which goes back to the concept of trust, is really different and it feels like a complete unplugging from work. Yeah, I think that's great. I think one of the things that really stuck out to me about this section specifically is that we all know people get interrupted at home. I am a prime candidate who can say that my dog will come in, my kids will come in, and you know the garbage truck drives by. There's so many things that are interrupting me during the day, but I think the type of interruption is really different. It's much more different than someone coming by and looking at a floor plan that I'm doing over my shoulder and saying, well, did you think about it this way or this way or this way? And it really interrupts the flow of how you're trying to design something or get something done. And it feels like it can take you longer and come up with something better at the end of the day. Maybe not, but you never really get that time to finish what you were thinking through because now you're starting to look at it in a different way. So it feels to me like those interruptions happen, but they don't interrupt your workflow in the same way that's disruptive. And so it can feel like it's easier to complete a thought and then be more intentional about the way that you communicate it to the group because they aren't sitting next to you, kind of watching you go through that process. And so I wonder if that is part of this feeling of productivity and creativity is the ability to kind of close the loop on what you're working on. I love this. I love this, the examples that you uh, mentioned, Melissa. I think they I really resonate with me. I know, for example, our neighbor, every Friday morning, 9 to 10 a.m., they mow their lawn. That is something I want to, I guess, like the main difference, it seems to me, is that being in control of the disruption as opposed to the disruption being in control of you. I know that if my neighbor is doing that 9 to 10 a.m. on Friday, I should go to a different room and close the door. And I'm in control of that, as opposed to being in the workplace where people stop by and ask a question and disrupt your flow or any other kind of disruption that is part of the serendipity in the workplace that people are actually missing too. But when it comes to the focus work and state of flow, uh, for sure, there's more control around that at home. Yeah. Hold on a second. FedEx just pulled up. <laughs> I need to go get my package. <laughs> it happens to me a lot, actually, yes. lately. They really are here. Uh, <laughs> But what else is really interesting with the data is that along with not having or having different types of disruptions, maybe just ones that don't have to distract you completely from your train of thought and your work and ones that might be actually more positive distractions, distractions like just getting up and going to your door to get a, a package that was just delivered. What else came up in the data was that they have, that might influence your productivity, is that they have more control and comfort of their sensory environment being at home. So roughly 80% said that they find it much more easier at home to be able to adjust their temperature, to be able to adjust their lighting levels, to have the access to the daylight and the outdoors. Uh, so that is also, you know, data has shown in the past that that can have a significant impact on your ability to be productive, at least perceptionally, and also creative. Question for you, Melissa. The stuff that we just, we kind of label as, some of the stuff that we label here as disruption, aren't they really the good stuff of the workplace? 
that we're missing now. Like people just, uh, for example, I mean, I get a message on Skype or an email. They go in the queue. I'm like, hey, I'm going to get back to you like in 30 minutes. But if someone tapped me on the shoulder in the workplace and quote unquote disrupt me to ask a question and then we have a conversation for like 10 minutes, isn't that the good thing about the workplace that we're missing now? I totally agree with you. I think it's all pros and cons. I am right there with you when someone is IMing me, someone literally just IMed me right now. I constantly am kind of putting these things into a queue and I feel bad because I feel like I'm holding up people from being able to accomplish what they need to accomplish. So there is some guilt associated with not having that immediate response feedback that people are used to in the workplace. And on top of that, I do also question the innovative piece. We all have been through work from home movements in the past. And overwhelmingly, that was the big piece that lots of companies felt was missing was the innovation that happens when people work together. And there is some fear that that is starting to erode a little bit. Certainly our collaboration and digital tools are significantly better than they were in the past, but does that really replace in-person collaboration? That remains to be seen. Totally. I think I think that's the key debate in the survey too, the debate between productivity and control versus serendipity and, and innovation. And while we have evidence that people's productivity has increased, increased during work from home, data kind of suggests here and there that the ability to stay innovative might take a big hit in the near future. And this means that the real test of telework for the masses is probably not the ability to keep working on similar tasks with the same network of people. But the real test is the necessity to solve new complex problems with new team members to generate solutions that keep us ahead of the competition. I feel like almost like sometimes when I um, try to compare productivity and innovation, it seems to me that unlike productivity, obstacles to innovation are not often obvious roadblocks. There is often no clear point of impact or moment when a company hits an obstacle to finally realize that, hey, there has been a lack of innovative thinking. The turns to innovation are almost like a small holes in a tire. They reduce your speed, maneuverability, and balance. And by the time we realize what happened, that your car's tire has gone flat and competitors are miles ahead of you. And I, I kind of feel like sometimes that getting into the queue and not having those serendipitous encounters and not having those unquote disruptions of your state of flow are those a small holes in the tire. I totally agree with you. I think that's a great analogy. And I think, especially from what we've seen in the study, and I know we'll talk at the, at the end more about this, but I think the energy and the ability people had to work from home at the beginning is changing now that this could be going on for an indeterminate amount of time. And so at the beginning, I think people were trying really hard to communicate and over-communicate. And as work from home continues, that that same level of kind of excitement and engagement is decreasing. And so, you know, perhaps more of these small holes are showing up in the tire, if you will. So with that, let's move to talking about fellowship, which is really, you know, quite related. Talk about innovation and collaboration. Kara, can you bring us through some of those statistics that we saw in our study? You know, we're talking 
about those that really enjoy working from home, and it might seem all fine and dandy, there is around 50% of respondents, you know, those that even did enjoy, do enjoy working from home, are still reporting a desire to still be together with others, mainly for that social aspect, for efficiency and operation of the work, and the desire for more collaboration. To Kira's point, I mean, this is not merely an emotional reaction that I want to be next to my friends and colleagues and participate in uh, company events and have casual conversations and have lunch together. This is also a seriously operational uh, request from people. The whole motivation to come back, one of the primary motivations for returning to the office is uh, the whole knowledge sharing and and mentoring and learning from each other and really contributing to building a learning organization that is kind of being hampered by the whole work from home and the lack of technology perhaps or rituals or norms and training that will help us cultivate those types of connections as we're working from home. I think that's a really great point. I mean, we on top of the work from home study, have been working with clients on what does their workplace look like going forward from a work from home and an an office solution. And recently we worked with a group and I heard from at least a third, if not a half, that I can't do work without immediate access to my colleagues. And that while we're making it work right now, this is not my desired way of working moving forward. And they all had varying reasons why they needed immediate access to colleagues. But most of it was that my workday is longer waiting for a response on, you know, next steps or availability for scheduling or, you know, which path to take. And so really, I do think that people are accustomed to working side by side and you don't just unlearn that overnight. And what I thought was really interesting that I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about was whether or not this affected those who are tech savvy or or if it had a certain group that was targeted in this area. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's actually an interesting point, Melissa, that you mentioned, because we had one question in the survey that was asking, actually, we replaced that survey in the question per your suggestion. And you said, hey... (laughs) And it was, I remember when we were designing the survey, Melissa was like, we need to know about people's ability to use technology. And let's ask that question. And actually that question opened a lot of doors for us. We asked them, uh, what's the level, tell us what's your level of comfort using technology. And then when you filter the data based on people's level of savviness uh, in using technology, you'll see that there is no significant difference, no significant difference between people who are reporting higher level tech literacy or competency uh, to people who are reporting lower levels. People with higher levels of tech savviness are also missing the social aspect of the workplace, uh, which goes back to your point in terms of this technology, at least for this period of time, hasn't been really designed uh, to fill in the social gap. It's been designed for, for, for different purposes, perhaps, but it's not really responding to, the, uh, to some of the motivations that people currently have for returning to the office. But I have a question for you, Melissa. I mean, we, we have like this, like this survey, and Kara, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like when we do a survey like this, 3,500 people, 3,600 people, majority of respondents are from the 
base of the organization, maybe 70, 75%. But you, Melissa, you talk to a lot of executives, C-suite. What is their reaction when you get, and of course, I mean, the quality of face-to-face interaction, when you sit in front of them, or perhaps in front of them on Zoom and have a conversation, what is their reaction to, to all of this and to their employees wanting to stay home, the majority of employees wanting to stay home? That's a great question. I mean, because there are a lot of different ways of thinking. And I would say this is another place where we're seeing a bit of a duality. I think on the one hand, when you're in management, you've typically been with an organization for a while, or you have a very deep understanding of the organization. So you've got a lot of that social capital that you can take away and you can work with others a little bit easier because you have a good kind of relationship of trust with them built up already. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, people in management, they're not the people who are sitting there doing the focus tasks that need to be done. Mm. And so they are much more reliant on their colleagues and collaboration and communication with their, with their colleagues. And so that piece is much more difficult for them than it was in the workplace. And typically on top of that, they're often meeting or communicating with a lot of people from outside their organization who they may not know or just know in a much more acquaintance type relationship. And so that is a little bit more challenging virtually as well. So I think there's a bit of a duality for a lot of these people, which is why it's so difficult. You can't make just an easy decision of, you know, keep workplace, get rid of workplace because they see both sides of it in that way. A good thing into the next analysis I can mention, you know, of those who responded that they were more productive and creative in the office, it's around 20 to 16% respectively. A lot of those so that they miss that access to their colleagues, their face-to-face interaction. And it's not necessarily that they're tech savvy, but there's better technology available for them in the office. And so those are some of the indicators. But then also of those in that category that responded, they're more productive and creative in the office. A majority of those are those with higher role descriptors, like the executives and the directors. And much to the point that I would say you just mentioned, Melissa, it's because they, a lot of their work is centered around that connection that they have to have with their team members. It's more of the management aspects of their job. That is, I think that's such an interesting analysis that Kara has made from the survey. Just like thinking about, and this is probably the part that we get into the realm of prediction and speculation a little bit, but thinking about this population that to Kara's point are from executives and higher level management they're craving the social interaction in the workplace. They get their work done in a, in a face-to-face manner. So thinking about as shelter-in-place restrictions lift and people and these employees who report higher levels of creativity and productivity in the office, uh, being among the first user groups who will return to return when given the choice. And uh, with this type of demographic that we're mentioning, these are the people that, are, that might have more ability to attract and retain power, drive key decisions on projects, even shape the organization's culture, even pick what kind of projects they want to work on. It might have impact on promotions. So I guess like the, the kind of prediction here is that this having this concentrated concentration of people of a higher level of organization who rely on face-to-face interaction might motivate 
the other 50% of the employees, the mainstream, who are currently pro-working from home to rethink their position as they see this 20% or the extreme return to the office and establish these connections and it might motivate them to come back. But the purely a speculation, what, what do you think, Melissa, about will there be a pendulum swing, you think, in the future? Well, I think it's interesting. I could see, like when you said pendulum swing, I was thinking of those like little silver balls that click and you can like have them click on an angle because it could go one of two ways for me. If those types of people do come back first, I think what they're seeking in the workplace won't be there for them because they really thrive on being with their team. And so if their team is still working from home, that whole reason that they were excited and energized to be in the workplace isn't there. So for me, there's a danger in like the workplace isn't working anymore and this isn't what I expected and now I don't want to be here either. So I could see the pendulum swing that way or in the exact same way that you just spoke about is that it's this magnet to draw people back into the Love office. Love it. Just, just interrupted you to say that that was the best way of describing it. Yeah. It, what, how can we, like as people who are invested and I assume like I am invested in the, in the success of workplace and I like it to be successful. How might we make that one side of the silver pendulum swing happen and kind of avoid the whole going back to the workplace and feeling like, hey, this is not what I remember. This is way different and kind of that feeling of disappointment from the memory that you've had about those days of hustle and bustle and uh, being close to your team and, and all of that. How do we avoid that? I think that's a great question. And I would actually say we definitely don't want it to be that executives and managers come in and guilt other people to feel like they have to come in because I don't think that those people are going to be as productive as they ought to be, especially if they're afraid for their health and safety. Like that is definitely not why we want people to come back to the workplace. So, you know, we've been really talking about this and thinking about this. And I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind. I think the first is thinking through who comes back and how and when and bringing cohesive teams back together if they're comfortable with that is one strategy that would be effective. Mm. And I think in an, another way that's maybe optimistic and assumes that it is safe. I think another strategy could be thinking through a third way of working that relies on both virtual and in-person collaboration equally and really holistically brings teams together regardless of where they happen to be and essentially creates a new type of space that we're maybe not used to seeing or working in today, but that really takes both into account and ensures the safety of the group ultimately. So then let's move on to resilience. Kara, do you want to talk a little bit about this? I feel like this was probably one of the most interesting pieces of our study. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this too, and because of the pandemic and COVID-19, we were kind of thrown into what we're experiencing right now, right? We weren't really prepared for it very well. There was a lot of things that needed to be adjusted in our work life and our personal life to make this work. And so that is a huge thing that we had to consider when we are looking at the respondents and the responses to this particular survey in the context that, you know, at first in the beginning, we were thinking this is just a temporary thing, short term. 
and now it's becoming a little bit longer term. And I think we're at the point in the pandemic where we're starting to think of how this might just shape our future, even without a pandemic in the way that we want to work. So it was interesting because we were able to take an analysis of the results. Now this questionnaire is open for around 50 days or so, 46 I think to be exact. And looking at the responses and the respondents in that first week to the last week, there was a significant difference in them being able to adapt and feel more productive over time. Over time, they were feeling more productive. And we also looked at it the first two weeks to the last two weeks because it was a better sample size distribution and there it was a little bit more equal around 1,200 responses from the first and then the 1,200 responses from the last week. And we even saw even greater statistical significance that they were getting more productive and felt like they're getting more, even more creative over time. So I think that's something to really take into consideration is that COVID happened, the pandemic came upon us, this was an immediate change, but us as humans have this really great ability to adapt over time. And then how is this gonna change how we work in the future? And to me, I mean, there, there are many parallels between, there's so many lessons to be learned from uh, this, the title of resilience and what Kara mentioned and change management practices. The whole idea of people like change, but they just don't want to be changed. And this whole feeling of I have control over my situation, there's so many uh, comments in the survey, ample amount of comments that people are expressing their surprise as for how well they adjusted to the situation. And of course, the company have provided them with the technology to stay connected and all of that. But at the same time, it's been mostly people creating their own rituals, the rituals of when to wake up, have a breakfast, when to take a break, when to work, when not to work, building their own rituals, setting up a space for themselves, like gradually kind of creating this kind of the right chair and the right spaces and the right desks and um, knowing your lawn mowing neighbor's schedule, building those kind of setting up the space and the rituals for yourself to be able to do that. And which kind of shows that with kind of a purposeful change management, this could happen either way. We don't really know if we launch a survey, keep collecting data for the next 50 days. We don't really know what type of data we're going to see then. Because one thing that is interesting, I think like a lot of other surveys that were coming out during the first days of shelter in place, they were overwhelmingly reporting that people are feeling stressed, people are just don't know how to get their work done, people are feeling unproductive. But then when you look at the data over time, you realize that people have adjusted. So that very well could be the trend uh, 40, 50 days from now, the trend of not knowing what will happen 50 days from now, which kind of tell us that we have to keep collecting data that, kind of, that needs to become part of our thinking about designing the next workplace. I agree. I would take it one step further too, because I 100% agree with what both of you have just said. And I've had a really interesting experience this week that kind of was a bit eye-opening for me. Kara and I mean, no, I have two school-aged kids who were thrown into distance learning at the end of last year, at the end of last school year, I should say. And it was a struggle to say the least. We were eight to 10 hours a day trying to get through assignments and figure out apps and Zoom classes and just all of those things were 
constant communication with teachers every single day. Things were changing day to day, and it was definitely a struggle. And the teachers had the opportunity over summer break to sit back and plan for the situation, thinking about how kids react to this and how they best learn. And so we've started distance learning again this week. And it's a, a completely different experience. And honestly, I was 100% dreading it, having the experience of last year. But this week already, I have a schedule that is down to every 15 minutes for what my kids should be doing, who they're doing it with, where it can be found. I have a thing for every single app, password for every app. Like they've clearly taken the time to step back, think about how this should best work for everybody. I mean, it couldn't feel more different or more positive. I mean, even my kids are both really excited about it and, and like looking forward to it every day, which is a huge shift. And so that experience for me just made me realize how important it is to kind of take a step back sometimes and rethink what we're doing and really measure and think about how things are working and get that information to put together a cohesive plan that works for everybody because Certainly we can do that from small incremental steps, but sometimes that step back leads to quicker, more efficient productivity changes. And I would really encourage, you know, anyone who's working from home to really take a step back at their schedule, at the way that they're doing work, at the way that they're communicating and think through a cohesive plan for themselves because of how important that is, you know, how much having maybe actual training or tools or, you know, new resources could really be a game changer. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And not just on the level of individual employees, but also at the level of uh, organizations and companies to be proactive about this, not be like, hey, let's just see what happens and we're going to deal with this as time goes. But really, there's a passive approach to all of that, that, hey, COVID happened, we can't do anything, we're just going to stay home. I have Zoom or Microsoft Teams, I'll, I'll just somehow get my work done as opposed to let's write the narrative, let's, let's start thinking about how would this proactively think about how this future should look like, and then really sitting and brainstorming ways of making that future happen in ways that are not really too intensive. I mean, they could be small prototypes, it could be small experiments to run and continuously collect data. But I completely agree, uh, every once in a while is stepping back and looking at this whole thing and finding moments that really matter in our journey and trying to think about what should that next moment be and can we play a role in shaping that moment. I feel like that was kind of amazing closing statement. And so with that, I'm gonna thank both of you so much for joining me today. Yo, you got it, it was a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks to both Amin and Kara for helping me take a closer look at the things we can do to ensure that our workplaces continue to draw people back to innovate in the future. To stay up to date with all the insights from HGA, please visit www.hga.com insights or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and share with your friends or on social media. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. To keep this conversation going, please share on any of our social channels under the post for this episode. If you're interested in talking to me or any of our guests, please reach out to the contact information provided on our website.
I'm Melissa Pacey, and I can't wait to talk again during our next episode.